Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today we'll be interviewing my friend, actor, and former NFL All-Pro Namdi Asamoa. But before we get to our conversation with Namdi, I wanted to talk about the impeachment trial that's going on. In case you missed it, the Senate started the second Trump impeachment trial in response to the president's role in last month's failed coup attempt. Trump's lawyers tried to argue that an impeachment trial for a president that's no longer in office is unconstitutional, and the Senate rightly disagreed. And the reason is clear. If a former president couldn't be impeached, all future presidents would have to do is commit an act of treason just before leaving office and they'd escape accountability. It's kind of silly. Now, you had a handful of Republicans vote for the trial to proceed this week, but you need 17 of them to cross over to actually convict Trump. And we all know that ain't really going to happen. But what's the point of all of this, you may ask? Well, first, Democrats couldn't just let this go. They had to bring impeachment articles and obviously making sure that Americans never forget the Capitol insurrection, I think, is a moral and political imperative for Democrats because Americans have short memories. We can never forget how close we came to becoming a banana republic, and we can't forget the people that helped to make it happen, namely Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley. Equally important, I think it is that we make sure Republicans pay the price at the ballot box in 2022 for basically telling Americans that inciting an attack on the Capitol, where the plan was to kidnap and potentially assassinate members of Congress and the sitting vice president, isn't an impeachable offense to many Republicans. There's no both sides here. One party supports treason, the other one doesn't. And until Republicans can stand up to Donald Trump, they may not be worth anyone's vote. And that's that on that. Now on to my show with my brother. I love you, man. Namdi Asamoah. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to the Bakari Sellers Podcast. What's going on, my brother? What's happening? It's good to, good to be here. Man, I haven't seen you since we were in North Carolina trying to get people over to hump, man. I hope you've been doing well since then. Uh, I, I think it worked for the most part. For the most part. We'll count that as a victory. So, look, I, I start my episodes with having our guests walk us through the arc of their career. And yours is obviously one with two totally distinct arcs. One as an all-pro cornerback and one as an actor. First, reflect on your football career. At what point, either in high school or at Cal, did you realize you'll be able to play in the NFL? Well, before I do that, I want to say that we saw you doing a, a TikTok dance <laughs> on <the laughs> with two people in your home. I don't know who the two people were, but but they had you. They had no, you. Oh, no. First of all, those were my nieces. <laughs> and we cannot we cannot start with that. No, I, I uh, you know, I still have to remind folk. I mean, I, they got me feeling old, but, uh, you know, we, we still I can still move when I need to. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. Anyway, That's anyway. What's up. So, so um, I don't even remember the question. But so, when did you know you could make it to the league? That's the question. Oh, when did I know I could make it to the league? There was something that came out of I think it was like my either my soft the end of my sophomore year or the end of my junior year where they had projections for the two thousand three or whatever you know for what that NFL draft would be, and someone had a projection of me going in the first round, and 
I was like, I wasn't even thinking NFL, honestly, at that point. I kind of like the, the way that I move through life is sort of like whatever happens next. And so I was just trying to be good at playing college football. But yeah. once that happened and, and people alerted me to it, I think my mind started to go on that track like, oh, I could be in the NFL one day. So, yeah, I was in college. So I'll drill down a little bit more into your football career, but I'm curious about the transition from football to acting because you retired from the league in 2013, but you'd already been acting back in 2008 with a cameo in the game. Hey. Actually, I, I went and saw that for research. <laughs> was was acting something that you'd always knew you'd get into or transition to after football? Because the only other person I know, I mean, some of the old cats you think about. You think about the, Jim Brown and. Uh, Jim Brown and OJ Simpson, of course. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah, but but recently it's just been basically like you and Thomas Jones. From the football world, yeah. I mean, Matthew Cherry is a is another oh, Matthew Cherry, yeah, NFL guy that that's transitioned. But I, it's it's not an easy thing to do, Bakari, because we come from a field, a job where the idea is to keep your emotions in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you get to the end of a game. It could have been a tough game. It could have been like, you know, the worst game ever. And when you're interviewed, the job is to stay composed. And no matter what is thrown at you, you know, your response is, look, we're going to go back on Monday and we're going to look at the tape and we're going to try to get better next week. You know, but you want to break stuff and you want to scream. So you, you're sort of trained to keep that in. So to now come into a business where the goal is let that out and be an open door and be vulnerable and be emotional. It's a, it's a difficult thing to do. So I, I didn't, my, my mind wasn't, I'm going to be an actor in any sort of way. I think when I started doing commercials for football, I started to think this could be an avenue, but it was never like, this is going to work out. This is going to be the thing. Did you ever want to go into, cause I think you'd be brilliant at it. Um, did you ever think you were going to go into the booth and actually call football? Cause That's it's kind of surreal, surreal when we, when you watch Tony Romo, I mean, Tony's out there calling plays before the play actually happens. That's exactly right. And he's <laughs> got that personality, you know, like he is very much, he's right in the wheelhouse of what he should be doing and, and what was going to come next for him. And I did, I, you know, that was my thing. That's what I was sort of training towards because as, as former players or as players, that is the next sort of easy, not easy, but it's the next transition because you stay in that world. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing to do, you know, quiet as kept. But that, <laughs> that is where I wanted to, that is where I wanted to go initially. And, and then I finished playing and it was like, why don't I give this a shot? I love doing this. You know, I love movies. Uh, you know, I was a kid that lobbied my parents growing up. We had one TV in the house and I lobbied them to get that TV in my room that I shared with my brother and it worked. And I had it in my room for about a year until I, you know, I got in trouble and then it, it got taken out. <laughs> you so probably should have been a you should have been a lawyer then. Uh, <laughs> before we get to your acting and and before we get into the transition acting, I want to talk about your football career a little bit. I always like to ask corners this: Who were the receivers uh, when you played that you look forward to playing, and then who was the toughest guy you had to cover? And tell me it was Calvin Johnson because that's who I bet it was going to be. <laughs> no, Calvin was tough. Yeah, definitely, but. I mean, who I looked forward to playing were people like, I think you had Brandon Marshall on the show. I did. Um, and I looked forward to playing him because it was always going to be a battle and we were always going to have fun and talk trash and at the end of the game, laugh and no matter what, you know, it was like just two juggernauts sort of going You talk trash to people? 
only uh, really only with Brandon. Like we would. Really, and, <laughs> what are you pretty, saying to folk, Namdi? Like you you didn't get into Cal. Like you 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 were two five in school. You were three in school. What you doing over there? Is that? <laughs> look, no. I think. Listen. Let me let me clarify that. The talking trash with Brandon was mainly after the game. Like I was okay. trash like in the middle of the game, I was I was pretty silent. But yeah, I, there were a number of guys that were really tough to cover, including him. So it's it's really tough to narrow it down to, to just one. What corners in the league do you watch now? Listen, I got. St- but, but let me ask. Let me ask you this: Do you still watch football now? That's the question, Bakari. Like, that's the first question. Um, I, I, for me, I do. But what I what I watch is is mainly I watch mainly the highlights, which actually is terrible because I hated when people watch highlights when I was playing. I wanted them to watch the full game, but I, you know, I can't. It's tough to sit down, and I'm always working and doing things. And for me, it's the highlights that I watch. So it's it's also tough for me to answer the question about who are uh, my top corners in the league, but. Gilmore is definitely yeah, one of them. My guy. Uh, yeah, who's your guy? You know, he's he's really blossoming. So, do you have a do you have a pick in the Super Bowl? My last football question, because you don't even watch it. They you don't even watch your homeboys no more. Do you? Do you? No, no, no. That's, you, not true. that's not true. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, I, so here's my I, because Andy Reid is one of the the sort of the great mentors that I've had in my life. When coaching with the Eagles and beyond, I'm still in touch with him today. Oh, wow. you know, I, I, I'm rooting for him and I hope that they get it done again, but it's so tough to count out Tom. Yes. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, he's been counted out every step of his career and he continues to make it to the end. So it's going to be a tough one. I'll tell you that much. It's going to be a good one. Look, so you retired in 2013. Talk us through how you prepared for a full-time acting career, because I know we have listeners who are in a career and for whatever reason, they're looking to make that transition to the next chapter. Talk about the work that went into uh, becoming a working actor. Listen, a lot of it is hard work, but then a lot of it is chance and luck and, you know, the right person seeing you at the right time. I mean, every it seems like every opportunity I've had, it's because someone saw something else I was in. It wasn't because of an audition necessarily. But, you know, the advice, the advice for me is everyone is different find your own path. You know what I mean? I hate when I sit down. I remember when I was, when I was, when I came into the NFL and, you know, I was trying to learn a new position I was with the Raiders and Al Davis wanted me to play cornerback, but I played safety in college. And so it was this whole thing I was trying to figure out. And I kept hearing people say, this is how you play corner. This is how you play corner. And so I would be copying what everyone else was doing. And I, it didn't, I couldn't separate myself in any sort of way. And then we had a player that came in, maybe my third year. And he was just like, find what's comfortable for you. And that's how you'll separate yourself. You know, it's a, don't, don't follow the path of everyone else, play the position, how you want to play it. And that's when I started to take off. And so I would say the same thing for an actor. It's, it's find your path, like find the projects that you want to do. It doesn't mean audition for every single thing, you know, it doesn't mean, you know, for whatever, you know, just find out what your lane is and, and then go for it that way, I think. So you, you've you been acting for some time, but you just recently made a major splash this year with uh, Sylvie's Love. We're going to run the trailer of that. Tell me about this new boy at the store. 
Okay, what's your favorite song on this? You don't know what love is. I am not answering that. <laughs> is he cute? I didn't really notice that much. <laughs> My band's playing tonight at nine if you want to come. I've met a girl who knows as much about music as you do. <laughs> and television. Don't get me started. I've seen every episode of everything. How was it? He's extraordinary. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Can I walk you? Life's too short to waste time on things you don't absolutely love. But how do you know if you love something absolutely? I guess when it's the only thing that matters. The band got offered a gig in Paris. Come with us on tour. I'm afraid I can't. But I think you very well could be the next John Coltrane. What are you gonna be? If this is love... WNAT Television. Calling about the assistant producer position. Are you married? Yes. Hey. The producer's assistant's not the best job for a housewife. Why should I hire you? Because I didn't know that a Negro woman television producer even existed. And all my life, that is all I've ever wanted to be. It's been a long time since I felt the way that I do Robert. Sylvie? What are you doing in New York? Recording an album. So good to see you. You too. You're working? You're not being a very good hostess. And what will people say? I can't be the woman of your dreams while also trying to be the woman of my own. I guess I just wanted you to be happy. Even if I couldn't be a part of your life. Pleasant experiences ahead. Don't pass it by. Talk to me about what this movie is about for those who haven't seen it. Talk about this splash that you've made, what this movie is about, and how this opportunity came to be. Well, the, well how the opportunity came to be. So the, I, I, I've been acting for some time, but not in any professional way. This is like my second movie that I've ever done. So the, but how it came to be was because of my first movie, which was a movie called Crown Heights. Yes. That did, and it was, at, it was at Sundance. It's about this wrongfully convicted Trinidadian American that's sentenced to life in prison. And the director of Sylvie's Love and the writer of Sylvie's Love saw that performance and then said, this is who we want to play this role in Sylvie's Love. So that's how the project came to me. And I read it and and fell in love with it. And, you know, and that's when it started to take off. We took it around Hollywood to everyone and, you know, everyone passed on it and said, no, you know, we can't make this movie. Uh, there's no real audience for it. You know, it, we don't know how to market it. And then at the end of the day, my producing partner and I just said, we, if we don't make this, I don't think it's going to get made. And so we mm. went in and, and made it. What's it about? Uh, it is. You did ask me that, didn't you? Yeah. I, no, it ain't no worries. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but so it's about, you know, these two young people in Harlem in, in the late 1950s that fall in love over a summer. and then for whatever reason, career paths, they go their separate ways after that summer. But five years later, they bump into each other on the street in New York and they realize that they still have feelings for each other, but their lives have taken different paths. And so you're sort of watching them navigate that and see if they can be together 
you know, in spite of everything that's happened to them in those five years. How can folks watch Sylvie's Love? It's on Amazon Prime Video. We came out just a couple of days before Christmas uh, and, and doing really My well. wife and I have laid in the bed and watched it, and we stayed awake. And let me hey, just tell you, that's hard. That's hard. That's the tell. <laughs> that, and my, and look, with twins, that's how you tell if it's a good movie or not. If you, if you, exactly if you right. look over and she's still awake, then, then that's a good movie. No, it was, it was dope. I, and one of the things that I found fascinating, and, and I just want to, I mean, your character, Robert Halloway, is just, it was so multidimensional. He, he was so nuanced. But what jumped out at you when you first read the script for Sylvie's Love? And, and what made that character stand out to you? I mean, when I first read the script, the thing that jumped out for me was how was Sylvie's character, just in, mm. in the fact that in that first page of the script, it was something that we didn't have the money to actually shoot. So it never made the, the film. But there's a moment before she's waiting. She's at a Nancy Wilson concert, but it starts with her in the rain, getting out of the taxi cab and she forgets to get her change and she's running. She's got her umbrella and she's in this glamorous dress and, you know, she's bumping through people just to make the concert on time. And the way that our director wrote it in that script, I was blown away because I hadn't seen it before. You know, I hadn't seen a love story just in general that had black people that took place during this time. And it wasn't about the civil rights and the struggle and, you know, water hose and dogs and, yeah. and all of that. It was just about two people falling in love. So I think that was the thing that stood out for me. And then he got to play the saxophone. And oh, that's my next, that's a natural segue. That was how, the hell, how the hell you learn how to play a saxophone <laughs> for this role? I mean, and, and what you're doing in the house just sitting around, <laughs> driving folk crazy, playing the saxophone. <laughs> Listen, you, you do what you got to do to pull off the part, man. That that actually jumped out of me. I said he's a saxophone player. I love when it, I get to, when Crown Heights, I, I got to learn a, a new accent, a Trinidadian American accent. And for this, it was like, oh, I get to learn the saxophone. It's one of those instruments that if you've ever played an instrument, you you sort of dream about one day playing the saxophone. I yeah. played the piano growing up. And I, it's like, but then you get older and you don't have the time. And now it was a requirement. So I, I fell in love with it. And I played it for over a year just to, to get Can it Can right. you still play it? I feel like it's like riding a bike. You know, I haven't played it in a while because we finished shooting a long time ago. But I feel like if I picked it up right now, I'd, I'd be able to play. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. So you produced this and starred in it. And then had to sell it to somebody. Yeah, I mean that's a that most most actors in their second movie they don't they don't necessarily have to do that. Talk about the challenges when you say people passed on it. Talk about the challenges of believing in something and getting it passed on so much. What what made you keep going and and at the end of the day, you know what made you just devote your own income and resources to putting this product out and then going to Amazon and why did Amazon say yeah? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a I can't. There's no way to tell you how difficult it is on its own just to make a movie. 
it's just so difficult. You're going to go through so many no's before you get a yes. And then it people actually have to like it for you to get the opportunity to make another movie, or at least if you're a person of color making movies, people yeah, have yeah. to like it for you to get another opportunity. And I, and so I actually had, I actually did this with Crown Heights. So I, had to, I produced that and acted and I had to sell it as well. And luckily for us, Amazon bought that film. And so there was a track record with Amazon. So I, I had this film and, I, and we were able to show it to them at the Sundance Film Festival. And having that relationship, I think, really helped. And they were just like, we want to be a part of this. And, I, you know, that was the beauty of having that prior, uh, that relationship with them already. But it was very difficult. I mean, it's, it's to produce is one thing. To act and produce is a completely different thing because you you actually aren't spending the time working on your acting. You're spending the time like going through paperwork and on phone calls in the middle of scenes. And then you have to be on for the camera. So yeah, it was a huge challenge. But I, I also start to feel like because this is the second time I've done it, I, I feel like it stretched me enough to where I'm, I'm sort of now built for it. Whereas before I even got into this, I didn't know what producing or acting even was. I feel like now I'm sort of built for that challenge. Would you act in a movie that you don't produce? Oh, that's of course. I mean, to just <laughs> be able to. But, but, but the tricky thing is, it's like this is the reason why I started producing, because the roles that I was seeing, you know, were the security guard or the football jock that comes in holding the beer and like grunting or, it's, you know, what I mean, or the cameo. <laughs> You know, and so I, I, so I started producing. But yeah, of course I would act. That's dope. Producing. Let's talk about your production coming a little bit. I am Twenty One Entertainment, and Sylvie's Love is one of your projects, along with Crown Heights. And I think I saw Harriet as a part. Harriet, I was, I was an EP on Harriet. I was an EP on Beast of No Nation. Uh, I am Twenty One. We also made a movie called The Banker with Samuel L. Jackson on Apple TV. We're into documentaries. We're, we're now getting into TV. So, and the Broadway play American Son. The American Sun, so we're doing stage as well, you know. So, I mean, ha, tell me, tell me what type of projects you're looking for. Uh, how, I, I mean, how this production company started, and some of the things you're going to be doing in the future. What's next? Not for you acting, but what's next for I Am Twenty One? It's tough because you know you do want to have like a a grasp on what the projects are, and to me, it's so weird because it, I just have to like it. You know, I've gotten behind projects before that had nothing to do with the last project I made or they weren't trying to say anything political or anything special in, in any sort of way. But I just liked it. I grew up. The first film I ever saw was Who Framed Roger Rabbit in theaters, you know, and so that was my intro to theatrical movie experience. You know, it's cartoons and it's and it's real people. But then the next film I saw was Boys in the Hood. Yeah. You know, so it's like that was real life. So my first two films in the theater sort of told me that you can be a part of all of it. You know, so I think the next thing for us is just to continue to to climb up the ladder and make bigger projects and bigger projects and 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 not not stay in a box or be put in a box that anyone tries to get us in. What did you find to be harder on the field, film, producing? I mean, your life, your your adult life has taken off and gone into all these divergent paths. What did you find the most difficult or challenging? You have natural athletic ability. Some would say you have God-given acting ability because everybody can't do what you're doing out there now. But what what for you was the greatest challenge? 
you know, it's such a, it's not as simple to answer like uh, black and white and that there are certain moments on the field that are a greater challenge than I think, especially as a cornerback, especially if you're playing man to man, that are a greater challenge than I think any position in any other sport. You know, there are certain moments, but then there are certain things about producing and acting at the same time that put you through more mental gymnastics than you could possibly have ever imagined. You know, I think the physical of it, football, there's no comparison, but the mental part of it, you know, it's, it can be a toss up depending on the situation you're in. So now some people may not know, but you're married to a Hollywood powerhouse in her own right, Carrie Washington. How helpful is it to launch an acting career and run a production company when you have an incredible partner like Carrie that you can work with and bounce ideas off of? I, well, that's and by true. the way, personally, I think you're the much better actor. But I mean, nah, that's, just me. <laughs> that's just me. Oh, that's just me. Head. Don't cut that. Don't cut that. Keep that. <laughs> I'm going to tell her too. <laughs> um, no, I mean, she, uh, I think that's exactly, you know, what you said earlier, I think is exactly right. Being able to bounce ideas off of each other. And, and I think for me, it's just really being able to sort of witness all that she's done and accomplished. I think that's, one of the things that sort of keeps me going, you know, we have that support for each other, but to be in the same house and sort of see someone completely taking over industry after industry after it's like yeah. anything that she touches, she ends up being a giant. And, you know, I think that's inspiration in itself for me. I mean, that's a dope philosophy to look at it. Many people don't know, but you guys are also very, you are very, very philanthropic and you get involved in political causes you believe in. Talk to me about some of the philanthropy that you're doing, why you decided to do it, give back so much, and how you find time to do it. I mean, you're raising a family. Um, I was joking with somebody earlier that on my resume now, under work experience, the first thing on my list is married. That's a, <laughs> shit, that's a, full, that's a full-time job in itself. Uh, so as you hear my kids in the background... Um, so just talk about how you find time to, to do your, your uh, philanthropic work and, and some of the things you're doing. Yeah, that's, that's great. You know, it's, it's, we, I think as the guys, we rarely get asked the question, like, how do you balance, you know? Yeah. The, the how do you balance work life? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We don't get that. You know, and <laughs> women do all the time. So it's very interesting that you bring that up, but it, it's a, it's a difficult balance. It's, it's especially a difficult balance during COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, we're doing this interview. I have to lock the door because I know that at any moment, like one of these kids can break in and, and take over the interview. But, you know, you do you do find balance because you have help. I think when you have sort of a track record of being someone that's able to compartmentalize and give out jobs to certain people. I think it, it makes the the home life and work life work a little bit smoother. But, you know, I mean, philanthropically, I've been doing for the last 15 years, I've been taking high school kids from underrepresented communities uh, on college tours across the country. And these are kids that have the grades to get in those schools, but would never think about going to college yeah. because they're you know, the oldest kid in their home and they're raising their kids because their parents are there or so, you know, there are just some, some crazy stories. So I've been able to do that every year and it's been, you know, the greatest joy for me more than football, more than acting, producing, like that's the, the thing for me. And last year was the first year that we weren't able to take the kids on a tour mm -hmm. because of COVID. 
So this year we're trying to figure out what to do to, to help them. Well, let me know any t- anything you need from Morehouse or, or anywhere in South Carolina, North you Carolina. Any HB- I went to Morehouse. Yeah, of course. Okay. You can't tell? Yeah. <laughs> so right. we we would, uh, I, I can definitely get your virtual tour set up. Just, and, you know, I got a good friend out there in Hollywood, John David Washington, J.D. Oh, Denzel, son. A good, that's a good friend. <laughs> that, he's, a dope, he's a dope dude. He just was in, shout out to J.D. He was just in Tenet. And I still don't know. I, I got two degrees and I don't know what Tenet was about after watching the movie. I don't think JD know what Tenet was about. That movie was wild. So Listen, if anybody can tell me what that is about. I'm trying to figure out too. But, but let me tell you, I've, I've run into him a couple of times at, you know, at Laker games. And he is the most generous yes. guy with his spirit. And just you can like yeah. feel it. He's a, definitely a, a good guy and someone to know. Yeah. And, you know, the crazy thing about JD is he was a hell of a football player. Yeah. So yeah, he right. played. He he ran. He he ran for about eighteen hundred yards, uh, sixteen hundred yards at Morehouse, and then he got he got a chance with the Jets for a minute. Um, in the Rams, and he, I think. And then maybe it was the Rams. Yeah, it was with the Rams before they moved to L.A. It was the St. Louis Rams. That's right, right, right. And uh, he was so good at football, he ended up becoming an actor. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my last question for you, uh, maybe not my last question for you, but the second to last is one of the things that I've always noticed about you is you had this innate political ability. Is, is there a future in politics for you? You're going to run for, for governor of, of California? Or? So Bakari, don't do that. Don't do that. I mean, <laughs> well, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll work for you when you run for something. But <laughs> we no. just need good people to run for office, man. I That's hear that. you. I hear you. <laughs> I will support them and do as much as I can to get them. But no. Tell me. Tell me this. Tell me this before I let you go. One of the things that that I like to do on this show many times when I have black fathers on is, you know, what's some advice you have for raising black children in this world today? The difficulties. What are some of the things you want to instill in your beautiful children as they get older, as they grow up with the the social media pressures, the societal pressures, the things they're seeing on TV? We're raising children in an interesting time. What are some words of advice you would give to a Bakari Sellers or anybody else listening? I think I just like to always keep them informed of sort of their blackness. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I always want them to know their roots. I always want them to know, and it doesn't matter what age, you know, there's a way to introduce it to them so that they're aware of who came before them, what they had to go through. But it's great things, difficult things, aware of some of the tough times that we've had in history. Um, aware of their ancestors and just just so that they know, you know, sort of who they are. I don't want them to to walk in the world and and sort of be trying to figure out, you know, why someone said something to them or how they were able to get this opportunity. I just you know, I want them to to be confident in who they are. It's a it's a it's a challenge for us as adults. Yeah. I can't imagine what it what it is for the, the kids. Sure. What's next for Nandi Asamwa? Tell me what's next for you. Uh, what's next for your family? What's on the plate? Because this movie was great, and you are a brilliant actor. Um, you were a great football player. You were a great football player, but I didn't. Yeah. I feel like I know you, but on the screen, I didn't see anything about Nandi Asamwa. Yeah. I was. It was the. It was the character that I saw. So, what's next for you? When are you going to give us some more of this? I appreciate it. Um, what's next? Uh, well, I'll take a nap in about 15 minutes. That's good. I, I wish I could. And, and so <laughs> thanks for the family. I think we have game night tonight. Uh, but in, in terms of work, I don't know. I, there's a, there's, there's, there isn't a specific thing that I can point to or speak about uh, publicly right now, but there are a lot of things that are in the pot. 
I'm, I'm one of those people that feels like you can't just have one thing and be shooting towards that. You have to have a lot of things sort of going, especially in this business and see which one of them falls first. Um, and so that's what I'm up to, but I, I hope to make more, you know, more beautiful work that I think speaks to not only people that look like us, but speak to the entire community of, of people in this world. Man, I think so too. I mean, I think you're a dope example. And when people see you, that's a reflection on me and every other black man in this world. So I appreciate that. Namdi Asamwa, thank you so much for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, my brother. Please give your beautiful wife my best. Shout out to your family, uh, everybody at the production company. If there's ever anything that we can do for you here. Uh, shout out to your PR team, man. You got the most responsive, dopest PR team right, right. out there. They, they stay <laughs> on it. I know they stay on you. Uh, <laughs> and so I uh, thank you for making this work, my brother. It's good to see you. You too. Bring the beard back. We got to oh. bring it back. Bring it back. <laughs> new, new year, new me right now, man. I'm okay. out here trying to get this GameStop money or something, man. I got to look. <laughs> All right, my brother. Be easy, man. Before I let you go, I couldn't let this week pass without honoring the lives of Henry Smith, Samuel Hammond, and Delano Middleton. They were the three young men who were murdered by South Carolina Highway Patrolmen on February 8, 1968, what became known as the Orange Rug Massacre. For those of you who may know my story, my father, Cleveland Sellers, was a part of the group of students who led protests in Orangeburg, South Carolina, to integrate the city's bowling alley. As is often the case with black protests, the black protesters were nonviolent, but the violence came from the highway patrolmen who shot into a peaceful group of protesters, murdering three of them and wounding countless others, including my father. The Orangeburg Massacre represents one of the bloodiest chapters in American history and the only person that the state of South Carolina has ever seen fit to hold accountable for the events that took place on February 8th, 1968, was my father. Every year during this week, the Orangeburg community remembers the lives of these three young men because my state really doesn't. And much like the calls for people to get past an insurrection that killed Capitol Police just last month, people often tell black folks to get past all of the injustices that have been committed against us. One of the many reasons why race is our country's original sin and continues to divide us is because there's always a rush to call for healing, but no sense of urgency around justice, accountability, and reconciliation. So we'll continue to honor the lives of black martyrs like Smith, Hammond, and Middleton, because like so many other atrocities, honoring their lives commits us to justice and truth and to the fight. And that's that on that. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Sellers podcast. We'll see you on Monday.